The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, good morning and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Source of Truth podcast. And we're grateful that you've joined us this morning and taking time, excuse me, and taking time today to be in God's Word. Whether you're watching this live at 11 o'clock today or archived or listening to it at a different time, we just want to say thank you uh, for giving me the chance to be part of your day and hopefully encouraging you as we share God's Word. We're going to continue where we left off yesterday in Psalm chapter 102 as we've been walking through what is called a Messianic Psalm. It's a psalm more than likely written by David prophesying ahead to things that probably he obviously didn't recognize or may not fully understood, but as the Lord was, it was showing him, he was writing some of these things down, or writing these things down. And so we're able to evaluate and look at this passage and see some great things that we can learn, not only to give us hope for the future, and not only maybe answer some questions and interpretation, but there's some just some great principles about God and about what he's doing that I think we can hold on to strongly. The last two days as we've been evaluating this chapter, we've looked at this, the author, this, this, this David, is he's more than likely David, is he's writing this, and we're beginning to see where we're able to look deep into the heart. He talks about the despair, the physical aspect of the despair. He talks about just you know, the circumstance that Israel was in. And obviously in that situation, it was in a, in, a, in a rough situation. That's why some theologians believe this might have been written by a prophet during the time of the Babylonian captivity. So we're not dogmatic as to who wrote it. But we're seeing the author really looking back, struggling a little bit in the aspect of where, the, where Israel is at the time and God's what's perceived punishment and waiting for God to do something. So now as we, we've asked you through this last time to focus our attention on verse 12, because it's at least to this point a turning section, turning point in the chapter. And what he does is in these first few, in these next few verses, is he focuses attention on God and many of the promises that he holds on to. So let's go to verse 12, one, Psalm 102, verse 12. He says, But thou, O Lord, shall endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, and the set time is come, for thy servants to take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So then heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. So we're going to just break these down a little bit and uh, pull some thoughts out of it. I think will be a help. We, I just want to take a minute in verse 12. We've looked at it a couple times. But he says in all of the discouragement and all of the things that are overwhelming him, he, he makes that contrast with the phrase, but, the, but thou, O Lord, he said, thou shalt endure forever in thy remembrance unto all generations. You know, whoever the author may be, I like what he's saying here. He goes, you know what? I, I'm going to pass off the scene. Uh, my generation will pass off the scene. Those who have gone before me are not really going to be remembered long term. They're going to be named, some of them that will be recognized, some of them that will not. But ultimately, mankind and our, the, our beliefs and our, our actions are not going to be the things that will be remembered forever, that are going to be proclaimed and taught. These are the things that the next generation needs to build upon. He goes, you, thou art Lord, are going to be forever remembered into all generations. The goal of every generation is not to brag on 
or to criticize the last generation or brag on their own how they've got it better. The job of every generation, I'm talking culturally today, is to grab the banner, shall we say, or grab the baton from the last generation and move forward. Now, things will be done differently because our culture is different. What, what my father did and, and, and his generation did in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and, and through up to now will, will, will require a different approach than what you know, we did. We're going to have to look at things differently. I mean, just to consider consider our current circumstance that ministering in a post-COVID or through the pandemic at the end as we strive to move to the next season of life, uh, it's different. It's going to be very different, different than it just was to minister three to five years ago. So we understand that we must grab all the great truths. So what do we grab? It's not necessarily just how someone did something, but really it gets down deeper as to why they did it. What was the core of the belief of the former generation? And it goes back to Jesus. And so we grab that baton and we move forward and, and we make sure that the word of God stands strong. The doctrine is the center of what we do. And we move forward. He says, because Jesus is the one, God in our, you know, in today, Jesus is the one we point people to. He is the one we want people to see, not a church or not a movement or not a person, but Jesus is the one we point through. And we use church and we use the structure that Jesus has given us to do that. But it comes down, I love it, because we're going to be off the scene. We must make sure that what we do, it comes down to you. Um, you'll remember. Then he says in verse 13, Thou shalt arise and have mercy on Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time has come. So he starts and he, he says, you're going to favor. Remember, he talked about some of the battles and some of what felt to be the judgments coming upon Israel, and whether that was at the time of Babylon or whether it's this gap in this church age where Israel is, you know, waiting for the end, waiting for their promises, some of them to be fulfilled. He says, that will come. He goes, you will arise and you will have mercy. You will bring peace, whether that meant being freed from Babylon, whether it means the coming Messiah, I have a tendency to believe, the coming millennial reign, because you will do that. I like this. Here's where I get the thought from. For the time to favor her, yea, the set time has come. Uh, that set time, I believe, may be talking about prophecy, the Messiah, uh, the um, millennial reign, where Jesus will rule and reign, and all the promises that were given to Israel will be fulfilled in these times. These are the final promises. And here, here's a great principle, though. We, you know, we can look at that, and because he says in verse 14, for thy servants take pleasure in her, or the Israel stones and favor the dust. There's such a love for uh, for the genealogy and for Israel and for even to the dust and remembrance of all that they have and all that God has given them and promised them in that. So there's a great heritage there. He says, but the key, to, the principle we can look at is that no matter where we look at this, that God has many times brought Israel back to its glory and will one day do it again. God's promises will be fulfilled and what God's going to do. I love the idea that he talks about the set time. God knows what's going on. God's not surprised when we begin, where we're given a glimpse of the sovereignty of God, that while things don't make sense, our goal is not to try and make sense of things. Our goal is to say, Lord, what are you doing? What can I learn? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to teach me? This is a simple, practical application of understanding that, you know, in Galatians, he says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Keep going, keep moving forward, and always remain faithful, because he's got a plan. In his due season, I don't know when that is, but it, it is a set time, and he knows what he's doing. He sees that time. We can't, but he does. He knows how close we are and how we're not. We remain faithful because, as he said in verse 12, his faithfulness, and that's why we keep going. He, I like he continues in verse 15, so the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build upon Zion, he shall appear in his 
glory. This is one of the key reasons why I see this to be messianic in the aspect of the millennial reign, because Jesus is going to appear. When he brings all of this back together and he rules, Jesus will rule on the throne. And maybe David didn't fully understand what he was writing when he talked about that one day, whether he did or not, but or the author. But what we see here is, again, the promise that Jesus is going to come. And, and so what we can grab on is this author is talking back about this overwhelming nature and his desire for God to continue to work and to fulfill the work and to bring Israel back to where it was or and the, you know all these different things and, and and this desire in his heart was passionate and yet he says whenever it is your time Lord I know you're going to do it he he held the promises of God on that and so let's just take a minute and just think of some basic application from this I don't know what circumstance you're in but I know that God has made promises to it. This Sunday, we're going to look at a unique passage of Scripture, not unique, at all unique, but where Peter was in jail. He was in jail simply because this new king wanted, he had already killed James and was planning to kill or put a trial out and then kill Peter. And the day before all this was to happen, an angel comes and frees Peter from the jail. But what we're going to talk about is a unique question. And it kind of goes off the passage. And I want you to consider this. Why? We think back and say, every time we pray, God should do what we want him to do. He doesn't always do that. And that can become a curious, that can become frustrating if we're not viewing it correctly. So here's the question. The beginning of that passage kind of references, not even as detailed as Peter's being freed from jail, references the fact that before Peter was imprisoned, his friend, fellow disciple, James, the brother of John, had been beheaded, had been killed. Be, for being a disciple of Christ. And it, and it excited the people so much that this king says, we're going to keep doing this, and brought Peter in. So the why is it that Peter was freed from jail, but James wasn't? You know, the thing is, there is no really set answer for that. There is no explanation because here's another point. If I can sit back in my human mind explain the reasoning of God, then he's no longer God. If he's not big enough for me not to fully understand, then he's not big enough for me to worship. And that's really where we get back here. We so often try to calculate and figure out and, and, and humanize the thinking of God. And he's not. He's supernatural. And we live in a unique scenario, especially as Christians, a unique scenario where we understand the natural laws and we understand what is just the way it is. If someone's been diagnosed with a disease, we understand the potential of it, but we also understand what God can do if he wants to, and sometimes he doesn't. That's the battle sometimes. He can do this, but he will. maybe he chooses to and not. And that's where our faith, we have to, what are we going to do with that information? Now, I'm not, I don't have the time now. That is something I encourage you to join us 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Is I want to break that down as I've been studying it and in the next couple of days want to keep looking it over because, frankly, I've written down some questions for myself in my notes that I'd really like to dig in more before we get there. I want us to look at this from the point of view of why God. Not in a bad way. Hopefully understand a good way what we can learn. But the same thing we're saying is the core comes down to God's got a plan. Ultimately, faith dictates that I must trust his plan. Not, you know, faith is not God fulfilling what I want him to do. Faith is believing that God's got a plan and trusting that that plan will be fulfilled. It's easier said than done, but it is the core of that source of faith. And that's why we go to the word of God and we trust these promises. I don't know what circumstance God may have you in right now and how much sense it may not make right now. But he's, he's promised to be with you. He's promised to take care of you. He's promised to provide as necessary. And however it, result, it results, however he resolves this or does not, he's always promised to do what's right. And that's what we have to focus on. And I encourage you to keep your eyes on him. 
that no matter where you're at or how things seem to be unfolding, he is always right. And so we put our trust in him and we rest in that. We find peace in that. And we, as Paul said in Philippians, we can be careful or anxious for nothing and we can give it to him. Thanks again for joining us on this Thursday morning as we've been taking the last two days through this chapter. I hope you join us again tomorrow as we finish off the week in this same chapter and continue to see how this author and how he views God and learns from God and how we can take these simple practical applications for our daily life. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you again tomorrow.